Good morning. So glad to be here with you. I had to I had to confess something just right off the top of my head uh, this morning, and and that is uh, I really don't like intersections very much. I don't know if the rest of you really love intersections. I am not one of those people. Um, in fact, near my home, uh, uh, 370 and 84th Street, where they intersect, um, there is a mass of cars and humanity every morning and every evening when I'm trying to get to work and when I'm trying to get home, there's, there's just people. And I don't know if you have this sense sometimes when you're driving, but I get this sense like if people would just learn to drive my way, everything would go really well. I stop at the light, and, and I might be three cars deep, and then the green light, and, and I am, I'm counting. One 1,000, two 1,000. You know, my wife can testify to this. I'm like, the gas pedal is on the right. <laughs> Go! <laughs> and I know that I should be more patient, but... But in the moment that I'm sitting there at the intersection, I am, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be honest and transparent with you this morning. At that moment, it is all about me. I want to get home. I want to get to work. I want to get to the other side of the road. Whatever I want to do, I want you to get out of my way so I can do it better. I don't know if you've had those, those feelings before. In fact, at this particular stoplight, I don't know if uh, Iowa drivers are like Nebraska drivers. But generally speaking, I will be sitting at this stoplight. The light in front of me will go green, and I just want to nail the gas pedal. And, and the person coming from the opposite direction, their, 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 their green arrow has definitely turned red. And three cars continue to make the left-hand turn. And all I want to do is take my 95 Dodge pickup and hit the gas pedal and just say, Tawanda, right through the intersection. In that moment, it's really all about me. It's where I want to go. It's, it's what I want to do. And my sense at times is that in the church we come to an intersection where people are and we get really impatient with them because it's not the way that we want it. And so I want to invite you into engaging people at intersections this morning. What I want to encourage us all with is that intersections are everyday occurrence, everyday occurrences. Intersections are everyday occurrences. We're not talking like uh, uh, the side of the road. We're not talking about the ambulance needs to be called. We're not talking about uh, fire trucks and blaring sirens. We're, uh, we are talking about everyday occurrences. We are talking about conversations that take place uh, in the office. 
We're talking about text messages that you receive on your phone and the messages that you get on Facebook. Uh, We're talking about everyday occurrences in which the followers of Jesus can show compassion. Because that's what intersections are. Intersections are simply everyday occurrences where you and I, as followers of Jesus, have an opportunity to show compassion. This morning, Jesus leads us into an intersection. Uh, it's in a text that you're probably familiar with, uh, but he, he leads us. In fact, he, he probably pushes us into the intersection and causes us to ask some questions about ourselves. Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 25. Jesus has been traveling, and he intersects someone uh, at an intersection. It happens to be a lawyer. There's this lawyer, and there's Jesus. In verse 25, it begins like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a fantastic question. I mean, it's the kind of question that we want to be asked in the intersection, isn't it? As followers of Jesus, uh, this is desperate times. We we want to meet people there uh, to ask these sorts of great questions. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And he answered, and Jesus answered, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love other people. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. And I love this. If, if this were in the 21st century, Jesus would just tweet out at this point, right? He would just tweet out, just do it, and then he'd Instagram himself with a thumbs up picture, right? That's what Jesus does here in verse 28. He says, do this and you will live. And at this point, uh, the conversation gets a little iffy. Jesus has told them what has to happen. He says, "Uh, uh, what do I have to do? Do this and you're going to live. Love God and love other people. And and the lawyer, not quite sure what he's going to do about all of this, decides to play a game of semantics. Uh, He he wants to to try and aggravate the situation. He says the text reveals his heart, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. In response, Jesus says, let me take you to an intersection. And he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A a priest happened to be coming along that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Jesus looks back at the lawyer. Which of these three do you, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, you already know. He already knew. The expert in the law, he replied. The one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There's this lawyer and there's this Jesus and there's this great question and a great response. Love God, love other people. And then there's the intersection. Uh, that great question uh, that the text gives insight into uh, that he wanted to justify himself in some way. He didn't see himself intersecting with others in the intersections of their own life. And so he asked the question, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus takes him to another intersection. The guy gets mugged. He's beat up. He's left for dead. And there's these two very likely characters, right? They're the religious types. We know about religious types. They're helpers of people. They're upstanding citizens. They probably have memorized Scripture. They enjoy Ken's class every Sunday morning. They go to small group. They enjoy talking. And they especially enjoy whiting Iowa kind of potlucks. Are you following along with me? They're very upstanding people. We're supposed to see that in the text. Everyday, ordinary kind of people just like you and me who had this connection, or so they thought, with God. And the text really kind of rather shocks us when we recognize that they saw the need and they passed by on the other side. Of both of these individuals, they saw and they passed by. And we're kind of sitting there going, wait a minute, isn't that supposed to happen differently? They fail. Uh, the text is absolutely crystal clear. Uh, no doubt about it, they are not going to stop. I, I don't know if you recognize this in the clip, but sometimes uh, we have a, a, an amazing opportunity when we recognize that there's people in need to stop and give direction when people feel lost. And these two guys, they see the need and they pass by. I was wrestling with this text this week and here I, I, I got to this portion and I, I just kept wanting to, to ask a question. God, what is it uh, that you want us to hear from this? The question that struck me was this. How do folks who so identify their lives with the Lord end up doing some really despicable things? 
how, how is it that they can see and know and, and still pass by? Uh, how is it uh, that people who, who say they're followers of Jesus, uh, how is it that they can do some really despicable things? Several years ago, uh, Jolyn and I, our family, uh, was at the North American Christian Convention. I can't remember what city it was in, but we were there, and uh, the Willsboro Baptist Church was also there. They had targeted the North American Christian Convention for being out of compliance with God. And so on the opposite side, on the opposite corner, actually, uh, you would go out these, these main double doors, uh, you know, uh, kind of a convention center-ish doors, right? Uh, and, and you'd walk out the doors, and there were the picketers on the other side of the street. And, and, and I, was, I was dumbfounded by this. I was intrigued, and so I went to their website. I decided to go, and, and, and there's pictures on their website of people holding signs, and, and I looked at the people, and this is crazy, but they didn't have any little horns sticking out of their head. Uh, They weren't holding pitchforks. They didn't wear black hats. In fact, uh, the people that I saw looked as as normal as you and I. Looked like mothers and sons and grandfathers and and, and grandmothers and people uh, uh, that you would pass by along the road and say they're normal. And yet here they are holding these signs like, God hates fags, or you must hate your kids, or abortion is bloody murder. Maybe the most confounding thing I found on the website was just simply this. Amidst all of the hatred, amongst the cesspool of just a of religion that has gone out of control so far that they're so willing to pass by on the other side of the road was this hopeful quote, Romans 10.10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And I thought, you know, with all of the hatred around it, something gets lost in translation, wouldn't you say? How is it that folks who sometimes identify themselves so closely with the Lord end up doing really despicable things? And what I could think of is that usually it starts with something good. Uh, Throughout the Gospels, there's a pattern uh, for the religious that Jesus encounters along the way, and they've taken something that God started, and they've blown it up into this uh, ginormous belief system, and they've attached it to some kind of behavior uh, so that when they come to the intersection where people's lives are impacted, where they have an opportunity to actually stop and give direction, they blow right through the intersection, and there's a collision instead of compassion. The religious people that Jesus encounters in regard to the Sabbath and food restrictions and all sorts of cleansing, uh, Jesus did set up those things. 
God was behind them, and yet somehow a deeply held belief uh, mixed with an undesirable behavior uh, led them just to collide. On the sensational level, it might happen like this. Uh, Maybe uh, you and I, right, have a desire in America to say, uh, we want to see the unborn protected. And so we study the Bible and we understand the theology and we're saying uh, of every person who's even in the womb is, is made in the image of God. And, and then that leads us down the road and, and, and we understand the science of it and we engage ourselves in pregnancy resource centers and, and maybe then we even will march for the unborn and, and then maybe we go and protest and our holy discontent uh, leads us down the road of hatred and stuff of love, and we end up writing more and spending more time on the phone with the state representative than on our knees before God. On a sensational level, I, I think that's how it begins to happen. We, we start off with something good that, that begins to mutate into something it was never intended to be. Maybe on the elementary level, it looks something like this. Maybe we believe what the Bible says about sex outside of marriage being wrong. And we study it, and we know those passages, and we lead the anti-pornography campaign. And we are willing to go and talk to our teenagers about sex and dating. And then the girl next door happens to get pregnant. And the guy in the office that we know really well gets caught with porn at work. And our holy response is simply to say, well, they had it coming. Instead of trying to meet them and give direction and collide with them instead of being compassionate with them. Collisions exist between what we believe and the reality of our world, gang. And if we're not careful, the warning that is implicit in this text is that we become the people who pass by on the other side of the road because we think we got it right. Because we think God is on our side. There might be some collisions that you have. Some beliefs that you hold in this world that make it difficult for you to fully engage people to give direction when there's a need. Be it their sexual orientation, be it how they spend their money, be it how they wear their clothes or the color of their skin or the language that they speak or an addiction that they have a hard time cracking, uh, be it how they choose to parent their children or even how they take care of their bodies. If we're not careful, we're going to blow right through the intersection and the text will say of us, they saw and they passed by. And so that we don't miss the point, Jesus chases us into the intersection. He's not going to let us uh, lose the opportunity to see a need and meet it. And so Jesus points to the pagan. Do you notice this in the text? I mean, it really is uh, maybe the most shocking thing in this entire text. 
The one who is diametrically opposed to God is caught doing something amazing. And Jesus looks at him and says, why can't you be more like that? Uh, You maybe know something about how Jews and Samaritans got along. Uh, They didn't get along, right? They didn't get along at all. It's like oil and water trying to mix together. It just simply doesn't work. I mean, if you were a Jew, uh, you would walk the four to six days to, to make the journey around Samaria, Samaria rather than to walk through it. Uh, you did not associate with Samaritans, and yet Jesus holds up this pagan, uh, this Samaritan, and says, well, why can't you be more like that guy? Notice what he does. As I made my way through this, I, I began to think, well, well, who would Jesus say, you need to be more like that? How shocking would it be if Jesus said, uh, you know, I really think that you need to be a little more, m- more like Madonna. This would be surprising, don't you think? The material girl herself raises money for Malawi. Children of peace. Uh, what if Jesus were to say, you know, I think you need to be a little bit more like Oprah. Free the Children, Leadership Academy for Girls in South Africa. What if he were to say, I think you need to be a little more like Matt Damon. I mean, he fights AIDS and poverty and helps people get clean drinking water. He he looks at the working class in America and says, poverty is not okay in this country. What if he were to point to Brad and Angelina and he said, you know, they gave a a million dollars to Doctors Without Borders. I'd be shocked too. But that's the point. I mean, I can already hear the objections maybe in your mind and in my own. Uh, But Mike, don't you realize the kind of songs that Madonna has sung? Uh, Don't you realize the kinds of of cultural things that that she has influenced? I mean, Oprah, really, Mike? Yeah. And my response is simply to say, look at the text. Jesus points to the Samaritan. And the Samaritan spends his money and he spends his time and his effort and his energy and he gets his hands dirty and he willingly inconveniences himself so that he can come into the intersection where there's a human need and he meets it. And he gives up his donkey and he gives up his schedule so that he can give direction to someone who is lost in an intersection. Are you hanging with me here? My response is simply to say, the Samaritan did it. I want to take you back, back before some in this room were born, back a few years ago. Get in your time machine, let's go back to 1979. Jimmy Carter is president. There's a U.S. energy crisis. Billy Joel's, I love you just the way you are, is going to top the charts. 
Magic Johnson and Larry Bird are going to compete for the NCAA title. And in the midst of all of this, there is going to be a woman, and she's caught up in the reality of some of her poor choices, and she's heading to the hospital. There's no husband by her side. She's heading to the hospital in the middle of a blizzard because she's about to give birth. I know that woman because I am her son. In the middle of a blizzard in January of 1979, my mom, no husband on her arm, gives birth to a son. Can I tell you something? My mother was wounded and hurt. She suffered from the stigma of the scarlet letter that she thought maybe God had abandoned her. And yet, it was friends who were willing to walk into that intersection to see the need and invite her back. Not many choices have been made since that time, but I wonder where I would be today if someone hadn't decided to walk into the intersection of someone's poor choice and say, you know, this is the direction you need to go. Someone stepped into the intersection and loved her anyway. Gang, intersections demonstrate our love for God. Intersections demonstrate our love for God. I, I, I brought something with me today. Uh, I stuck it in my jacket pocket just to make sure that it wouldn't get wet on my way in. I, I want to show you one of my very favorite shirts. Are you ready for this? It is so awesome. I love this shirt. It's, it's beautiful. Oh. I think next time I preach up here, I'm wearing this shirt. Amen, indeed. I love this shirt. It has got to be one of my favorite shirts. Uh, my wife has threatened many times to have it disappear, and I said, you don't want to do that. <laughs> this shirt is valuable to me, but it's not because it looks nice. It's not because it maintains its function very well at this point. It's valuable because I love it. It's valuable because I own it. And I remember it. People are God's favorite. Uh, not just tall people or skinny people. All people 
People are God's favorite, not because they're pristine, not because they've not messed up, not because they have no rips and tears on their life. People are God's favorite. And every single day, your life runs into the intersection with theirs. Remember, intersections are everyday occurrences where followers of Jesus have an opportunity to share compassion. God loves people. People are His favorite. They are eternally valued, not because they've done everything right and not in spite of everything they've done wrong. They're valued because God loves them. That's why they're valued. And gang, you have an opportunity to step in those everyday kind of conversations and those text messages and, 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 and the tweets that you get and the tweets that you send out. You have the opportunity to engage with compassion. I may have told you this story already, but it's so good. I, I'm going to share it again. Several years ago, uh, we were on vacation. Uh, we were at Leech Lake, uh, Minnesota, and uh, there's, a, there's a couple that we meet there by the name of Ernie and Chris Blee from Worthington, Minnesota. Uh, we're staying in this cabin. It's our last night there. All we want to do is just enjoy the fire uh, and, and go to bed and get up early in the morning and head home. That's all we want to do. We really, honestly, quite frankly, don't want to talk to anybody. We don't want to engage people. We want to enjoy the fire and smell like smoke. You know what I mean? When you walk inside and, and it's wonderful and you get up and you smell your shirt in the morning, you're like, ah, oh, it, was, it was like camping, only not. <laughs> and we had some stuff left over. We had some eggs and some bacon and, and we weren't going to pack all that stuff home. And so uh, we met... Ernie and Chris, and we said, hey, uh, they were going to be in this, uh, this, this cabin right next to ours, and we said, hey, do you guys want this stuff, because we're not going to use it, and you can have it, and yeah, sure, do you want anything for it? No, go ahead, you know, have it. And so that night, you know, we're out there by the fire, sitting down, I'm like, ah, oh, this is so good. And then Ernie and Chris came out of their cabin, and they sat down. And, and, I, and I kid you not, some of the language that I heard come out of Ernie's mouth, I, I didn't know that you could use language like that and still have a tongue. I mean, it was amazing. And, and I thought, you know, like uh, that question early on in the conversation as we were sitting around the campfire was, uh, was uh, well, what do you do for a living? And I thought, oh, this will end it for sure. And I said, well, I'm a preacher, you know, I preach at this church, and, and, uh, and, and, and it didn't stop. It was like, and blankety-blank-blank, blank, wow. And I thought, no way, this can't be happening. But over the next, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes, Jolyn and I got to sit with Ernie and Chris and hear about their life. They hadn't been on a vacation in like over a decade. 
They were excited to be there. They had once been a part of a church, but not really now. And I would love to say, you know, like, hey, at the end, you know, he looked at me and said, how, mu- how might I get eternal life? But he didn't. But I will say, before the night ended, we got to pray together before we went back to our cabin. I don't know what the intersections look like for you. But I will say that the intersections are real. And you have an essential choice that you have to make when you're outside the walls of this building. Will you see and stop and give direction? Or will you see and pass by? Maybe you're here for the first time this morning, and I want to welcome you to Whiting Christian Church. And someone drug you here, and you're hearing this sermon, and maybe something is stirring in your life, and, and awesome. If something's stirring in you, and you're asking that question, Uh, What do I have to do? We'd love to visit with you about that. Uh, This morning, we get to celebrate together what the beginning of that journey really looks like. A father gets to baptize his son this morning. We get to watch as someone this morning dies to themselves and resurrected to live a new life with Christ. We celebrate that. There's an intersection going on right now, today. And I pray that you celebrate with that. I'm going to pray. The leaders are going to come. Gracious God, thank you for who you are and all that you do. And I pray for every single person in this room. I pray, Lord, uh, from the very bottom of my heart that we will uh, have the right kind of belief in who you are. I pray that that wouldn't get skewed. I pray that it wouldn't get messed up. I pray that it is holy. And Father, where there is a holy discontent in us, I pray uh, that that would lead to our compassion when we intersect with people. God is to love you more. God is to love others more. In Jesus' name, amen.